0: Good morning, this message is for Sunday, July 5th, the year 2020, and our text this morning comes from the epistle of 1 John, the fourth chapter, verses 7, 8, and 9. It is our custom at Kings to stand for the reading of Scripture. Hear the word of the Lord. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Here in the reading of God's holy word, please join me in a word of prayer. My prayer this morning, Father, is a simple one that you would give me a heart for your word And a word for our hearts. Amen. I'd like to start off with a little bit of a history lesson. We're going to go all the way back to the very beginning of the uh, Jewish nation. There was a man named Abram who lived in Ur of the Chaldees. And he heard voices. Yes, he did. He heard voices. God spoke to him and told him to leave the land of his birth. So he packed up his wife and he packed up his servants and he packed up his sheep and his goats and his camels and his father, and they set out to go to a land that God said he would show them. Now, Egypt at this time was just becoming a world power and with a world power's influence. And we know that Abraham and his son Isaac both spent some time in Egypt as nomadic shepherds. Now, the Egyptians had a term for nomadic peoples, and the word was apiru, which some scholars believe later on became Hebrew. That word in Egyptian, again, was apiru. And the Hebrews, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and his Jacob's 12 sons were all shepherds. And we know that Jacob's beloved son, Joseph, was sold into slavery by his brothers, taken to Egypt, and was the savior of Abraham's descendants. And Jacob and uh, the other brothers all moved to Egypt, and they were told to tell Pharaoh that they were shepherds, and the Egyptians didn't like shepherds. In fact, the word apiru literally means dirty or dusty. And the Egyptians were fastidious about cleaning. If you remember, all the times that Moses confronted Pharaoh, he met him when he was going down to the Nile to bathe. Bathing, cleanliness was a regular activity in the life of the Egyptians. And shepherds don't have a lot of time or inclination (laughs) to bathe regularly. They smelled bad and they were dirty. Hence the term, Apiru. So Hebrew is not a complimentary term. It literally meant, if you're going to translate it, people of the land or people of the dirt. And the Bible tells us that over the 400 years that Jacob's descendants were in Egypt, they went from being shepherds to being slaves. And in those 400 years, the Hebrews knew oppression, they knew discrimination. They, they knew attempted genocide. Pharaoh actually told the midwives to kill all the male children. They were abused by their taskmasters, taskmasters, and they were unwelcomed. Moses, you remember, leads the apiru, the dirty people, out of Egypt into the wilderness where they travel for 40 years once again cementing in that idea that they were nomadic people. And then they move to the taking of the promised land. Now, on their way to the promised land, they conquer some wonderful grasslands, not part of the promised land, literally across the Jordan River from the promised land. And the tribe of Ephraim and Manasseh ask if they can stay on the other side of the Jordan and not enter into the promised land. God asked them, are they planning on leaving the faith? Are they planning on not participating in the conquering of the, the Holy Lands? And the tribe of Ephraim and Manasseh agree to lead the Israelites in battle for the entire conquest, and they do. But very important, after the conquest is over, They move back across the Jordan River and literally out of the promised land. This becomes important when, many years later, after the book of Judges, after the reign of King David, after the reign of King Solomon, Solomon's son Rehoboam is so politically inept that he creates a split in God's kingdom of Israel. The ten northern tribes become known as Israel, and the two southern tribes become known as Judah. As you may recall, the northern tribes fall away from the worship of God faster and uh, more actively than those in the south, they have fewer and fewer good kings that lead them into righteousness, and Israel is conquered as a punishment by God, by the Assyrians, in 722 BC. They are exiled and forced to intermarry, particularly those who live in the city of Samaria, hence the term Samaritans. The Samaritans then become what we would call neither nor, they're not Assyrians. And they're not Jews. They wanted to maintain their Jewish heritage, but they were forbidden because they were half-breeds from entering into temple worship. So they developed their own brand of Judaism. They kept the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, the books of Moses, and they erected an altar on Mount Gerizim, and when the Israelites came back from their exile in Babylon, the Samaritans had kept their brand of Judaism in the Holy Lands and wanted to help rebuild the temple, and they were forbidden because they weren't pure Jews. The Samaritans knew oppression, contempt, exclusion, hatred, and felt decidedly unwelcomed. And I want you to think about this. In Jesus' time, women were uneducated. They were controlled by their father and passed that control to their husbands. They were not allowed or required to go to worship, and mostly they stayed at home and ran the household. Some scholars believe that that's why the Apostle Paul put a prohibition on women teaching men because literally all they knew at that time was the inside of their own homes. Women in Jesus' time knew oppression, repression, exclusion, and hear this. They were not allowed to divorce their husbands. Only the husband was allowed to divorce his wife. One more piece of history before we dive in, and that's this we refer to our Lord and Savior as Jesus of Nazareth. Now, if you read the Bible, you'll find that most sons have their father's name as their surname. Remember, it was Simon Bar-Jonah. Bar meaning the son of Jonah. John and his brother James were the sons of Zebedee. But we never hear Jesus referred to as Jesus Bar Joseph, it's always Jesus of Nazareth. It was an insult. If you recall, Joseph and Mary lived in Nazareth before the census when they went to Bethlehem and Mary became pregnant before they got married. She was betrothed to Joseph, but they were not yet married and the entire town of Nazareth knew that Mary had become pregnant out of wedlock, that Jesus was, by their standards, an illegitimate child. And think about this, who would would believe the crazy story that Mary carried the child of God? They would roll their eyes, and they would talk behind her back, and they would have said that poor Mary, trying to convince us all that her pregnancy (coughs) is divine, when she just is a fallen woman. It implied, Jesus of Nazareth implied, that any man in Nazareth could be Jesus' father. Think about this. When Herod began the slaughter of the innocents, after the wise men had left, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph emigrated to Egypt, and they waited there until it was safe to come back. So Jesus spent a part of his formative years in a foreign country. And then they emigrated after Herod passed back to Nazareth. It was a new place with new people, new customs, and perhaps a new language. Jesus might have been that little boy that spoke with an accent. And Jesus, as a Hebrew immigrant to Egypt, and then back understood life as a foreigner, as an illegitimate son, and he knew what it was to be excluded, judged, and oppressed. Now Jesus knew God's heart that the entire world would be saved. We know that because he told Nicodemus in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes on him should not perish but have eternal life. The whole world, he said. And yet, Jesus went out of his way to reach out to the people groups most despised. In fact, the Samaritans had been despised, hated, oppressed, excluded, unwelcomed for 800 years. Jesus demonstrates really three things in his ministry to the Samaritans, particularly in the story of the Samaritan woman. First, he went where he wasn't supposed to go. Remember, Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost. He went to Samaria. Jews didn't go to Samaria, it was a forbidden place, it was a place out of fellowship with their God. And yet, Jesus went to see the people that nobody else wanted to see. Secondly, he initiated a conversation, not only with a Samaritan, but with a Samaritan woman. He willingly crossed social lines and barriers to share the word of God. In fact, in scripture, The Samaritan woman is the first person to whom Jesus declares his messiahship as the son of God. Mm -hmm. Now think about this. The Samaritan in Jesus' parable of the good Samaritan is a hero. Unexpectedly. You would think that the priest or the Levite would be the hero, but no. It was the Samaritan. It was a twist. It was a twist beyond all twists. It was unexpected. It was unknown. It was unashamedly Jesus raising up the lowest of the low, the oppressed, the exiled, the excluded, in the answer to who is my neighbor. I believe that if Jesus were telling this parable today, he would change the hero. It might be your Muslim neighbor. It might be an undocumented immigrant. It might be an atheist. It might be an African American. It would definitely be a lost people group who felt excluded, oppressed, discriminated against, shunned, hated, and Jesus would pick them to be the hero. Yesterday was 4th of July, and we celebrate the signing of the Declaration of Independence. And in the second paragraph of this Declaration of Independence, it says, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. These words are true on paper, but not in reality. What do we need to do, church? We need to love because love is of God, and everyone that loves is born of God. Number one, we need to identify the lost, the oppressed, the excluded, the discriminated against, the hated, and reach out. As a church, as individuals, we need to reach out. We need to cross the social lines, just as Jesus did with the Samaritan woman. The second thing we need to do after we identify the lost is reach out and share. Share the love of God. Share resources and influence. If they are lost and oppressed, they need somebody to stand up for them. And we need to stand with them in community. I know that several people in our congregation have participated in Black Lives Me rallies i participated one and i participated in one in woodbury why because the oppressed need to know that we support them that we have their backs and number 3 what did jesus do more than anything else he loved 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 jesus final command to his disciples hear this was to go into all the world and then he told them exactly what that meant to go into Judea, which was home, Samaria, cross that line, cross that boundary, go to the people that nobody else would go to, and then to the ends of the earth. If Jesus had a sign in the first century Palestine, it would have been Samaritan Lives Matter. Amen.